0: Greetings, salutations, and how the heck are yas? You are listening to the Alien Gazing Podcast. This is the podcast where we cover a range of UFO and alien topics while featuring music from shoegaze, grunge gaze, new gaze, and dream pop artists. My name is Nick Sedella, I play in the band Saucers Over Washington, and I perform the chief hosting duties here at the podcast, and while I'm normally joined by my co-host Tom Schneider, uh, he is not going to be here for the beginning portion of this episode, but uh, he will be joining for the part two of our coverage of the Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers documentary. And that portion will be included a little bit later in this episode. Uh, Before we get to that, we have just uh, one quick news story to cover for UFOs in the news. But before we even get to that, we got to play our first song because we got four for today's episode. And I'm really excited about it. I think you will be too. And I'm very excited to announce that the first song for today's episode is called Aid and Abet by the band Slow Crush. Yeah. i have to say about that for one i mean you know i'm gonna say it you know i'm gonna talk about that guitar tone because man it is just crushing man oh just whoo and man i got a lot to share with you about this band because i have been a big fan of slow crush ever since i heard um their album aurora that came out uh, in 2018 and that song you just listened to aid in bet that was off of it Anyways, they're just such a great band. I mean, one of my favorite things about more contemporary shoegaze or grunge gaze bands, whatever you want to call them, I love the heavy guitars. You know, I, I was never a huge metal fan when I was uh, when I was younger, but I've since gotten really into like specifically stoner metal and drone metal. There's something really cool about like really deep, big guitars. Uh, That's almost like atmospheric and shoegaze is very much like that It creates like this atmosphere, you know and like this wall of sound with the fuzz and man I just love hearing it being implemented in this way, this just heavy guitars and stuff, and that song's got a lot of it on it. But anyways, Slow Crush, let me tell you a little bit about them. So first and foremost, that song was called Aid in a Bet. It's off of their 2018 record called Aurora, and they still have copies of this record on vinyl, uh, which has been described by a reviewer for Stereogum as quote-unquote, one of the best shoegaze albums in a long time, unquote. And yeah, I can definitely confirm that. It is such a A great album and I'm just also going to add to this because I'm sure some of you are like me and you also play in a shoegaze band or you just like to play shoegaze music um, you might want to check out their merch via their website because they are actually selling their own custom fuzz pedal and not only is it a custom fuzz pedal that they make themselves it's also a fuzz pedal that they used for that album Aurora Uh, So it's really cool. Uh, I think they're doing only 20 per run, and they're on their third run right now, and they still haven't sold out of them. So you still have a chance to get this really sick pedal. I'm getting one, and man, I cannot wait to check it out. Uh but anyways, um beyond that, you can find the band, their music and merch via their website slowcrush.org spelled the normal way. Uh you could also find uh, all that stuff via their Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music and all other music distribution services. And of course, you can follow the band on Instagram. Just look for them at @slowcrush. Again, that's spelled all the normal ways. And with that, Let's get back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Alien Gazing Podcast. So we got a lot of stuff to cover on this episode because in addition to featuring our conclusion to our two-part coverage of the Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers documentary, we also have some things to cover in UFOs in the news. And I have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of before we even get to any of those things. So let's go ahead and start there. So first, I'd like to apologize for the delay in posting part two. Uh, I know on the previous episode, I had mentioned that part two would be posted the following week and obviously we're two weeks past that date. As of this recording the past two weeks, I've just been busy working on music with some new potential members of saucers over Washington, as we get ready to start fleshing out some songs and making some demos for our first full length album. So I wanted to apologize for the delay and thank you all for your patience. And that's actually a good segue to the second piece of housekeeping, which is the Alien Gazing podcast will be taking a short break uh, for most of March and probably early April. But we will be back later in the spring, likely around late April or mer- early May, Merly May. <laughs> uh, this, is, this will be done to just basically free up some time for both myself and the band to work on our first full length album. And if you aren't already, please go ahead and follow us on Instagram. Uh, It's just at Saucers Over Washington. We'll be posting some pictures and video of our time in the studio as we work on the album all throughout March. So it'll definitely be a good time and we'd love to interact with you guys on there. In the meantime, if you are in a shoegaze, grunge gaze, or dream pop band and you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please go ahead and send us an email over at saucersoverwashington at gmail.com. Uh, That's spelled all the normal ways. And additionally, if you have had an experience relating to UFO and alien phenomenon, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to us through that same email. That's saucersoverwashington at gmail.com. And we can figure out a way to get you on the podcast to share your experience. All right. That takes care of all the housekeeping uh, for this episode, guys. With that being said, let's go ahead and get to our next segment, which is ufos in the news we've just got one article today for ufos in the news and that has to do with maine apparently being a ufo hotspot so let's get into it uh this comes from an article released by the bangor daily news which is a maine-based news publication and it discusses the state of maine's relationship to ufo activity including recent data that ranks maine as the fourth In the nation, in UFO visitations. One chart includes data showing a sharp increase of UFO sightings in Maine since the early aughts that is currently on the rise. In the article, a few potential reasons for Maine's rise in UFO sightings are posited, with one of the explanations being the pandemic itself due to the increased leisure time people found themselves with. We have a quote here. Numbers went through the roof. I mean, what else did people have to do besides stream movies, sit on the deck at night, and drink? End quote. Additionally, the article provides some insights into Maine's history of UFO encounters, including one account that was recently released as part of a recent declassified documents dump provided by the website The Black Vault. We actually covered that story on our previous episode, and I said back then that we would be seeing some of this stuff making its way into headlines. And here we are. Uh, So definitely check that out. It's really interesting. Um, This is, I mean, this is very interesting. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that we would see more UFOs uh, being cited in general during the pandemic. In fact, I think that might be one of the things that's got them on the rise. But I do think that that in general, they are on the rise as well. And the data shows that. So, it's interesting that Maine would be a hot spot. I can't think of any particular reason. Um, But, you know, I'm actually watching uh, this this History Channel series, which... Are super lame, uh, uh, just the way that they go about them. But anyways, I'm watching it with my fiance, and um, it's t- it's about Skinwalker Ranch. And if you know anything about Skinwalker Ranch, you know that whenever something weird happens, it's often accompanied by electromagnetic phenomenon. Well, the same tends to be the case with UFOs. So uh, the fact that Maine would be a hotspot tells me that maybe, uh, maybe uh, we should be looking for areas of, you know, intense or higher than normal electromagnetic uh, activity, either coming out on a consistent basis or be measuring for that stuff. Whenever these things do occur. Um, But anyways, um, one of the interesting things about this article, too, was the mention of the UFO sightings desk reference, which is essentially a large and in-depth collection of statistical charts and graphs, which analyze over 100,000 UFO sightings around the U.S. between 2001 and 2015. So this is essentially like an encyclopedia of ufo information and uh the book was referenced as a source for some of the information in the article and it was mentioned that an updated version of this book will be coming out sometime this spring so i know i'm going to be picking one up so maybe you should too anyways that'll do it for ufos in the news guys uh let's go ahead and get to our next song And this next song is called Box of Memories by the band Deep Red. That song, again, was called Box of Memories by the band Deep Red, and they're a two-piece band from Dallas, Texas. And I got to tell you, actually, if uh, if you have a good pair of headphones, uh, I highly recommend you put them on and give that song another listen, because I just listened to it for the first time with my studio headphones, and I got to say, like wow it just came alive in, in a way that it didn't uh when i listened to it in my car because that's where i listened to it mostly uh i have it on a playlist but yeah oh my gosh the 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 panning of, of some of the vocals and the guitars everything just it feels like it feels like it's live and i think some of the best mixes have that kind of effect where you listen to it and you feel like you're just there and it's oh man it's it's great uh so if you have a great pair of headphones i highly recommend you give that song another listen because man it is great i mean it's a great song in general uh but man that mix just comes alive and i mean that that's the same could be said of any mix in general really but um but especially this one it was just wow like it was night and day um anyways um Uh, So that song was off of their 2020 six song EP titled before you leave. And I have this little quote from their bio. It says the crux of deep reds inspiration comes from their ability to connect through each other's honesty and shared experiences of trauma, heartache and mental health struggles. Powerful stuff. And honestly, I think you can hear that in the music. And that's that's really special, man. That's awesome. Anyways, you can find their music on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other music distribution uh, services, and you can both listen to and contribute to the band directly through their band camp, and of course, you can follow them on Instagram. Uh, just find them at Deep Red. And now, without further ado, we present to you part two of our Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers documentary coverage. Uh, In addition to this, we will also be featuring two more songs from two other awesome shoegaze artists. So we hope you guys enjoy. Welcome back to the Alien Gazing Podcast. You are listening to part two of our Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Soxers documentary coverage. And we'll be starting back where we left off. So here we go. So we left off at where Bob was talking about uh, the craft and specifically what he wants people to take away from his story. And basically the thing that he wanted people to take away was the fact that science and suppression of information is the thing he wants people to take away from this. That, yes, it's fascinating that that there are other civilizations out there and they are interacting with us. But the thing he wants us to take away as the viewers and the listeners of his story is the fact that this information is being kept from us. And that to me, that, sorry, that to him uh, is the core of this story, is that information is being kept from us. Profound information that could affect us in innumerable positive ways. So, going from there, uh, we get a snippet of an interview with Bob from 1989 where he discusses the normalization of the out there physics he encountered on the job. So, he's in the interview, they're basically asking him, you know, like what it's like to work with such crazy, you know, physics stuff. So, he mentions that what he noticed when he got to look inside the craft was how small the seats were for the occupants of the craft that was another reason it couldn't have been man-made he says why would we have built something like that for kids he reasoned at the time that it was built that way for whoever the occupants of the craft were and whoever they were they were much smaller than us so he's talking about you know sitting in the craft and the craft was built for small people (laughs) why would we build things for small people where we average height of like 5'8, right? The average human's about 5'8 or between 5 feet and 6 feet. So, yeah, probably not man made. And then we get into this discussion of Bob Lazar having sought out hypnotherapy to help him access memories of what he remembered, of what he worked on at the base. He wanted to recall as much of the physics he could from when he was working there. And he did recall um, some technical things and other things. And then we get like an overly dramatic reconstruction of the hypnosedge session and then a segment of Bob drawing things he remembered from his time working on the base. Included in them is a drawing he did of the UFO and a small pyramid object, which I believe was the object from the beginning of this episode in part one where we talked about um, the object he tried to touch with his hands, but it wouldn't let him. It was like trying to touch two like poles of a magnet together. And then he describes the building he worked at, which is known as S-4. He says that it was meant to be disguised into the desert location. And then he talks about the power source of the UFO. He says, quote, The power source is an antimatter reactor. They run gravity amplifiers. It's a bizarre technology. There's no physical hookup between any of the systems in there. They use gravity as a wave using wave guides." almost like microwaves. And then we get some testimony from a polygrapher and a former L.A. police officer. His name is Terry Tavernetti. Uh, And he actually put Bob Lazar through four polygraph tests and concluded that there was no attempt to deceive. He says, quote, I left there thinking that I feel there is some credibility to what the subject had to say. So again, that's someone who worked as a former L.A. police officer and a polygrapher. And he thought that Bob Lazar was credible. He sent those results of the polygraph test to another fellow polygraph colleague who came to the same conclusion, which was no attempt to deceive. Then we have some discussion of some consistencies with Bob's story that coincides with information that Bob couldn't have known unless he worked there. So we're talking about things that... If he didn't work there how could he know this or that so one of those things was the thing that ultimately got him in trouble which was before bob decided to come out about you know area 51 flying saucers to come out about the fact that he worked there and worked on flying saucers and stuff like that he actually led a couple of his friends to a site where he knew they could see the testing of the crafts so before he blew the lid open, he would take his friends to some of these sites where they could see scheduled test flights of UFO tech. And these these really did happen. His friends have said that they saw what they saw, and actually they got caught one night, and that's what led to this whole, uh, this whole round of circumstances. So yeah, so how could he have known that they were going to do testing in that specific location on that specific night if he didn't work there? Uh, Then we have uh, another element that, (laughs) another element, um, another thing that adds to his credibility is element 115. It was discovered, I think, in 2004, which was many, many years after Bob Lazar claimed it was a fuel source for the flying saucer crafts. So again, another piece of information that lends credence to his credibility. So then we have a question, what was Bob's job exactly at S4? and he says that his job was to reverse engineer the power and propulsion system of the craft and see if it could be duplicated with available material. Jeremy Corbell asks Lazar to sketch a picture of the UFO he saw, which he does, and he proceeds to describe how the craft operated in regards to some of the parts of it. And he mentions that he was only permitted to work on and observe the bottom and middle sections of the craft. He was not permitted to work on the top area, which Bob claimed seemed like it could have been some sort of sensor ray that helped to survey the area around the craft. Now, I want to stop here for a second because we mentioned in episode two, which covered the Falcon Lake UFO incident, we mentioned that Bob Lazar's information would be kind of key to understanding more about that UFO incident. And this is what I wanted to point out about. Um, So obviously Bob was only working on the bottom and middle sections of the craft. He said that the top seemed like it could have been some sort of sensor ray that helped to survey the area of the craft. And Tom, I don't know if you remember, but in the Falcon Lake UFO incident, one of the things that was discussed was the fact that the top of the UFO that Stefano or uh, Stefan, the the craft that he saw, it put out at the very top of it, it put out these lights all around the area. So that to me is interesting because it seems like maybe if that's what Stefan saw, Stefan Mikulak, and Bob Lazar, having worked on these, these systems, even though he didn't get to work on the top part of it, him claiming that it could have been a navigation sort of thing, that to me makes sense with the lights because maybe the lights are some sort of like infrared detection yeah, There was something similar, you know, something like that. So that was a little detail I wanted to kind of point out and uh, maybe connect the dots. you think I'm crazy, Tom? Is, is Do you see a connection there? What do you think?
1: Um, no, I definitely see a connection.
0: The other thing I wanted to mention, too, is that if you look at Stephen Mikulak's picture of the UFO that he drew and you look at Bob Lazar's picture of the UFO that he drew, they're really similar. <laughs> I mean, like... They're pretty much almost exact. Anyway, um, going back to the documentary. After this, we have a discussion of a SWAT team that raided Bob's house. So then they show a scene uh, that happened previous to this raid where Jeremy and Bob are in the woods. And there's a discussion about encrypting the segment that they were about to record. This included them turning off and getting rid of their phone. So in this clip... You see them saying, hey, we should probably encrypt this next segment, and as we encrypt it, we should also just turn off and get rid of our phones, right? So the implication of this is that uh, Bob was going to discuss whether or not he snuck out a little bit of element 115 on his way out of Area 51, which there are claims that he did that then we see some text on the screen that tells us that Bob was raided the next day after this conversation in the woods uh, by the FBI and in the raid there were direct references to the conversation from the segment which was supposedly encrypted and which did not have their phones or they did not have their phones on or present for this seems to imply that somehow some way the government was watching and listening to Bob's every last word and we ask the question again why if there's nothing if there's no reason for it then we see that the uh the fbi also raided his business and considered raising uh raiding his house again included in this raid were fbi state police and other agencies bob said quote they were obviously looking for something the claim for the raid at his business, the raid was warranted, like they had a warrant for it. They were supposedly, supposedly looking for paperwork from an order from two years prior for a customer that ordered some potentially toxic material. So they sent the FBI, the state police, and other agencies to his business of work with a warrant to search for pieces of paper for an order from a couple of years ago. <laughs> seems like he uh, could have just made a call, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he goes on to say, "quote They had computer experts here going through all the computer equipment we had here. They had people sectioning off the building, labeling it in cubic meters, so that they could search each one for two pieces of paper." Seems a little seems a little off. Uh, and this was the second of two raids. And he says, quote, I am convinced there's ulterior motives. I firmly suspect that there's a lot more to it than they're saying, that they're looking for something else. There was a bomb squad, a computer squad, a biological hazard squad, a hazmat squad, the whole gamut. And this next part is a uh, segment of conversation between Jeremy and Bob. Jeremy says, everybody knows the story is that you got some element 115 out of Los Alamos. That's public knowledge. It's something you said a while back. Do you think that what has happened has to do with that? Bob's response, we're not going there. Jeremy, are they trying to shake you down to find the element 115 that you said 30 years ago that you got out of the lab? People are going to ask that. Do you not feel comfortable addressing it? Bob, nope i don't feel comfortable addressing it ooh interesting very very interesting so what do you think pretty wild huh well we're gonna go ahead and interrupt real quick to bring you another song this one is called friction by the band bled tape that song and i i dig pretty much anything that blood tape puts out there um anyway let me uh get to some uh some housekeeping the uh the song is called friction by the band blood tape this is the solo project of chicago-based artist francis shannon and uh, that song is off of their 2018 ep tulip and like i was saying before i can't say enough good things about blood tape i love what what Francis is putting out there uh it's not all shoegaze uh necessarily but it's just really good songwriting and just really good uh atmosphere uh building he does with his music and and I'm just a fan of what he's doing Uh, he actually put out a a single recently called Violet uh that came out just this year and it's got a a b-side uh song on it as well Anyway, you can find his music on Spotify and most other music distribution services, and you can support him directly through his Bandcamp, where he's actually still running a special promotion where you can still get all of his music for a little over $15. Bucks. Uh, I did it a uh, couple of months back, and I am very glad that I did because he's just got some really, really great music. Uh, great artist. Uh, definitely also follow him on Instagram. It's just at Bled Anyways, with that all being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and put us right back where we left off. So to provide some context, uh, before the music break, we left off at the end of a conversation between Jeremy Corbell, the director of the documentary, and Bob, where Jeremy asked Bob about the sample of Element 115 that Bob supposedly snuck out of the bass. To this, Bob responds that he does not feel comfortable addressing that topic. And then we have some looking through uh, some tapes. So basically, supposedly Bob had some tapes of Element 115 being used. And we see a little bit of a clip from one of these tapes. It's a cloud chamber test, and we are supposed to see some bending of light. I wasn't really sure how to make heads or tails with what I saw there, but interesting little bit of information regardless. And then we have a segment where we have Jeremy talking with other physicists about element 115. Because this is a big thing with element 115 is that although, yes, we have synthesized an element called element 115 and it's on the periodic table now, according to Bob Lazar, the form of element 115 that we've been able to synthesize is not stable in that state that we've synthesized for it. But in the form that it exists as a fuel Source for these crafts, it is stable. So the key to using, utilizing it as a sort of fuel is in stabilizing it in a way that allows it to be as such. But in any case, uh, so again, this is a, a claim against Bob Lazar. People make saying, "Oh, sure, element one fifteen exists, you know," and he said that it exists many, many years ago. But we couldn't use it as a fuel source; it's not stable, right? So the argument is that. Bob Lazar is lying because element 115 though it does exist it's not stable and cannot be used as fuel. So, Jeremy's doing his homework and talking to physicists and trying to find out, well, what do they think? Can it be stable? Is it possible? And the consensus from several of the scientists that he spoke to were was that you cannot rule out a stabilized version of element 115. In other words, it's not pseudoscience. You know, whether or not element 115 can exist in a stable form is, is theoretically possible. So take that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go to talking with Bob about element 115, um, less about him stealing some and more about the element itself. Um, so he says element 115 was what we would call the fuel that provided the power for the reactor to work. In regards to what happens with gravity in 115, Bob Lazar says, Element 115 affects gravity. Element 115 produces its own gravitational energy. It had a very specific manufacturing technique. I don't really know how that information came to be. Its code name was LA-1000. That's what it was referred to off-site. Its purpose was supposed to be an advanced armor. In other words, that's how it was able to be disguised. So people didn't know what it really was. And so this confused me when I read it at first, and there's more to this quote I'm going to read in a second, but I want to kind of clarify. I think what he's implying here is that basically some people in the government at Area 51 knew how to synthesize Element 115 to make more of this fuel source, but they didn't let people know how it was done and when they would go to get it done... They would say that it wasn't a fuel source. They would say that it's an armor. It's made for a specific armor. And so the fact that maybe the, the way that it's created, being classified, could just get by without further questioning. But anyways, he goes on to say that you could take a sample of the material uh, 115 to a lab and tell them it's part of a top-secret armor, and that takes care of all the weird questions. Uh, And then he goes on to say, this fuel is in the form of a three-dimensional thin triangle with little rounded edges. It's somewhat copper in color. The way this is manufactured is really critical. It's not just cut out of heavy sheet of material. A cylinder of this material is taken. This is machined into a cane. The outer part is shaved off using a lathe or something like that until you have a three-dimensional cone. Once you have the cone, It's sliced. Now, with the alien technology that was present in the craft, it takes that basis, that extra gravitational energy in a small reactor, amplifies it through the equipment there, directs it through the wave guides and archways into the emitters, and allows it to propel the craft and manipulate that gravity wave for whatever use they want. All right, and then pretty much after that is when this documentary starts to slowly kind of come to a close and finish. So that feels like a good spot to go ahead and bring in our last song for today's episode. And the last song is called Summer Always Comes by the band Bloom 604.
2: Summer it
0: today (laughs) Uh, that song was called summer always comes by the band bloom 604 and uh, they are based out of vancouver over in canada and that song was a single they released in january of this year so i think they're pretty new and i was actually introduced to them from one of the members of the band palm haze who we've previously uh featured on the podcast Anyway, you can find Bloom 604's music on Spotify, Apple Music, and most other music distribution services. You can support them directly via Bandcamp, and you can follow them on Instagram at Bloom604Band. That's at Bloom604Band. So to give you some context, before the music started playing, we were wrapping up our coverage of the documentary, and we were just about to get into our thoughts concerning Bob's story. And whether or not we believe that he's legit. So that kind of covers all like the in-depth bits of information from the documentary. So now we're just going to go ahead and just kind of freeform talk about it for a little bit. Uh, before we go ahead and end this episode for today. So Tom, would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Um, so like overall, from start to finish, I thought the documentary was was good. And my takeaway from just in general is just that the guy was you know bob was very genuine because like why would you keep that lie f- for so long and you know what i mean like for clout you know or because i've seen it before where somebody tells a lie and they get famous for it and then they kind of either they backtrack or they just kind of disappear from wherever they were from like, you know what I mean? Like they fall into obscurity. Yeah. Like, you know, Bob was, if you asked him today, he'd probably tell you the same story. And it was actually kind of interesting. There's, there's a couple uh, um area 51 videos on YouTube where people like cross the line almost like there's that, like there's that line and then they cross it and then, you do see people, um, government, but people like watching them. And there's been a couple incidents where they actually get guns drawn on them. Um, actually, I do recall there was one incident where they were, you know, they were on like adventure bikes, you know, and they crossed the line to Area 51. And within seconds, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know how they edited it, but within seconds, according to the YouTube video, they had like guns drawn on them. And so I think you know, we have a government that will go great lengths to protect things. And, you know, as far as like his, you know, not having records to what school he went to, that's very easy to do away with, you know, if, if he knows something, it's the government can make things disappear. Um, But as a whole, I, that my takeaway was like, he was this, like a stand-up dude, um, and I think his story might believe it. I generally do. And yeah, I think that's kind of my takeaway from that.
0: I definitely relate and I agree with you um, that, that he is a genuine person. That's what, That's what comes across in this documentary more than anything else, I think is that he is a credible and genuine person. You know, from first of all that I mean the guy's a physicist you see him work on like physics related things uh, in the in the documentary and and the fact that he works on these 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 propulsion cars i mean everything about his story makes sense and sometimes you hear the government being referred to as like this insane power kind of thing which i don't want to say that like the government is that because like when you're talking about the government, there's like the government, there's like people who are senators and, and you know, Republican, Democrat. But it's another thing to talk about military industrial complex type of government, uh, CIA and intelligence agencies and stuff like that. So when I say that if the government wanted to wipe out your records, they could. I'm not referring to your representatives who go to Washington. Right. But – Someone in some sort of intelligent agency absolutely could. I mean, that that doesn't seem far-fetched to me. And it seems the fact that there are records of Bob having worked there in the sense of being in the phone book, as well as being in an article where it's referenced that he worked there. You know, at one point, Bob did give George Knapp, back when this was all happening in the early 90s, he gave George Knapp a tour of the Los Alamos facility. He gave George Knapp a tour of it. I mean, Tom, I haven't been to your house. I'm not going to go to your house and give a give some random person a tour of it. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you don't give someone a tour of, you know, a place unless you you know it. You know, and then the the incident with uh, the brothel and the hooker thing that he was potentially facing some some serious like legal repercussions for, and he didn't change his story. You know, it all just seems to point to the fact that like he's not. Lying, And he doesn't come off to me as someone who is lying. That comes across both in his documentary and in his autobiography, which I've referenced a couple of times, which I cannot recommend enough. And they they have an audiobook version of it. And that's what I listened to. I I had a long road trip at one point this summer. So I listened to it this summer and it was just amazing. Speaking of road trips though, I've actually been to area 51. I, I can't believe I haven't talked about mm-hmm. this yet. I went there back in 2018. Um, my fiance, well at the time we got engaged on that, uh, on that trip, but, but yeah, one of the places we went to was we went to all like a lot of like the alien hotspots. We went to Roswell, New Mexico. Um, and then we went to, I went to area 51 and it was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, Apparently back in the day back in like the 80s and 90s they actually had signs that said that you would be shot on sight or you could be shot on sight if you crossed that line. Those signs were no longer there. I think they probably put them away cuz I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they 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 changed their tune. I mean, I think we all know that if you if you wanted to cross that line and you Seemed hostile. I mean, I have no doubt they would take you out. <laughs> but it seems like more often not when people cross, they just they get some serious civil repercussions put upon them, usually like fees and stuff like that. But yeah, so when I was there, there's two main gates you can go check out. There's the east gate and there's the back gate. And I believe it's the east gate that it, it there's no actual gate there. It's just like this line on the street. And there's a bunch of signs around it saying that if you cross that point, you're going to be in trouble. Um, so we visited both entrances. We visited the back entrance, which actually had the fence and stuff. Uh, we visited that during the day, and we visited the east gate at night. And the east gate was real fun because Tom, you were talking about the uh, the people that are watching you. Yeah. Um. I don't know if those are military or if it's like contract contract workers but in any case they are armed guards in like a jeep type of thing and it was cool being there at night because you can see very clearly Mm -hmm. because they have the lights on you can see them up there on um like a little uh hillside with the lights on they're they're looking right at you, you know, so very, very creepy, very cool, but a lot of fun. Uh, definitely one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life, and I'd recommend everybody and anybody do it. It's a lot of fun. But anyways, back to Bob Lazar. Um, I gotta say I'm very grateful for this documentary coming out and that he decided to you know, set the story straight kind of thing, because that's the impression I got from this whole thing, is that he just wanted to set the story straight, because at this point, you know, he knows that It seems like nothing's really going to come of what he did many, many years ago. You know, it seems like it caused a lot of problems for him. In fact, that's one of the things that he talks about towards the end of the documentary that's actually kind of sad. He talks about how, like, if if he could do it over again, he wouldn't blow the whistle because ultimately he lost access to working on the most incredible thing he could ever hope to work on. Which, you know, is working on alien craft and alien alien technology. I mean, what legit scientist or physicist wouldn't be fascinated to work on something like that? And it's like he got the keys to the kingdom and had them taken away.
1: Yeah, I agree. If I was in his shoes now, I would be I'll be like, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that.
0: <laughs> well, especially because it caused so much problems for him, you know? Like
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: And apparently he actually didn't even get paid all that much to do this, which is wild to me. Um, and it's interesting too, because like, what this to me tells us is that the way that the government or the sector of the government that deals with this stuff, assuming it's all legit, it shows us kind of how the government goes about finding people to work on stuff like this. Maybe it's not always if you work in the government, then you get access to it. Because the way that this seemed to happen, it seemed like he he was in the right place at the right time just talking to the right people and just he thought he was just getting an opportunity to work on something interesting for the government in addition to the work he already did cuz he actually he owned a um a photo development center it's kind of like his private business he had but in any case it's interesting because you pull out a guy like Bob Lazar because of his experience with propulsion and you pick someone who's out of the ordinary because maybe this is an out-of-the-ordinary situation and it calls for out-of-the-box type of thinking. So I definitely think that that's... I find that fascinating. It's almost like this element of the government is admitting that, like, listen, we are in over our heads here, and we might need to outsource or be a little bit more creative with who we're trying to get working in on this stuff, because ultimately we want results. And if the people you know, the people that we train in the military, maybe they don't get the results as much because they're in a different kind of state of mind. Bob Lazar very much strikes me as someone who is an out-of-the-box type of thinker. You know, artistic types. You know, you don't have to be a painter or a musician to be an artist. There are scientists who are artists in a sense. Einstein is an example of a scientist who is like an artist because they don't just take the established information and then just put it back out there they try to understand things on a much deeper level if you're a scientist and you're more of like an artist you know and they have more novel ways of looking at and approaching things so that that seems to me why maybe Bob Lazar was targeted is because he has more of a, an openness to his character and he definitely strikes me as like kind of like a um, give a care rock and roller type of you know Guy, You know, he likes to, he likes to race fast cars. He likes to build jet cars. He, uh, you know, he strikes me as that kind of like quintessential, you know, rebel type of character. And it's usually those people who end up being more right brain creative thinkers. And I think right brain creativity is what you maybe you need to potentially have some revelations about how this type of technology works. But that will do it for my thoughts, I think, on the subject. I've certainly said a lot. How about you, Tom? Do you feel like you've uh, you've exhausted your uh, thoughts on this subject?
1: Oh, yeah. I think we did good.
0: Heck, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, that is it, folks. That is the conclusion of our documenting the documentary, documenting the documentary, uh, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. If you have not seen that documentary, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? Go watch it now. Uh, do yourself a favor. It is still on Netflix. And as well, if this documentary is interesting to you, if this episode was interesting to you, the podcast, check out Bob Lazar's autobiography. Um, just look it up on the internet. You can probably find it, Autobiography, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, spelled B-O-B-L-A-Z-A-R. Easiest name to spell in the world. Uh, But anyways, that will do it for us here at the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We wish you all a very safe, uh, safe time out there. And Tom, do you have anything to say to our our viewers or listeners?
1: Yeah, no, just have a good one because it's more to come.
0: Have a good one and just keep gazing. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the alien gazing podcast. This podcast is brought to you as an extension of the band saucers over Washington to keep up to date with everything involving both the band and the podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at saucers over Washington. You can also check out our associated YouTube page space cave records, where we post gear demo videos, a personal vlog for related projects and much, much more to come. So until next time, guys, keep
1: gazing.